You are listening to a sermon brought to you by Shatter State Chi Alpha. I pray that this sermon will bless you and teach you something new today. And you can find a link to our website in the info. Check it out and shoot us a message. We would love to hear from you. All right, let's get started. So I'm just going to go ahead and read the scripture. I had, I think, one total correct guess uh, sent to me from this scripture. And so I'm just... What? Uh, all included when people sent me multiple guesses or different people? Because Jordan w- struggled hard and I think he sent me uh, every single Marvel member <laughs> before he got it right and then was mad at me because of who it was. I don't know. I can't remember. It was three or four individual people. But um, all right. Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Satan tempts Jesus. That should be, it should be. Mm-hmm. There you go. Then Jesus, and by the way, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but the font is different each week. And okay, I'm glad you guys are noticing because it's cool. But anyway, all right. Then Jesus was led. This one's really hard to read. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones be bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands, they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all of these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him and only him you shall serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. The next piece of scripture is from Genesis 25. That should also be one click. All right. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Verse 28. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I am about to die, Esau said. What good is a birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob and Esau gave bread, or Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew, and he ate and drank, and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. These are two totally different pieces of scripture. But if you guys have guessed so far, like I said, I think I only had one correct guess, and he had to go through everybody in order to get it. The character that we are talking about, what? What did you say? Who? Who? Maybe, maybe not. It's close. What'd you say? What? Oh, I, you said something really loud and I didn't, couldn't understand you. So I just assumed you were talking to me. 
No guesses? All right. Go ahead and play the video. Yeah, get the lights. All right. So how many of you guys guessed Loki, even though you didn't admit it out loud? Three, four, what? Matt said, Matt said it. Jordan, like I said, Jordan guessed literally everybody other than Loki. But, what'd you say? That's all right. You can still guess. That's fine. That's why we read it in here. Because uh, if you're a lazy bum like Matt, you know, you only had two weeks to read it. Or a week, week in a day or something. I don't know. But anyway, it's, it's kind of fun once you, what? Do I have to clarify? Marvel characters. Marvel characters. Which Marvel character? Which, which Marvel character are we talking about? The post was very clear. Ask Jordan. 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 When you, when you argue with me and you reread everything I wrote, did I ever say it was anything other than a Marvel character on the post? Exactly. Just because you were wrong doesn't mean you got to be mad at me. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> See you later. This <laughs> is my house, okay? I'm just kidding. All right. So when you start to piece together scripture, it's kind of fun because you see Captain America come in in this, in this scene. And as we talked about Captain America being the armor of God, it's kind of cool because we draw the parallel today to Loki and Satan with the scripture that we talked about, Satan tempting Jesus and, and commanding him to bow to him and all of that. It's kind of, kind of fun to see, uh, the different scripture kind of coming to play with each other within um, the characters uh, through Marvel. But, and it's kind of fun because I know who I'm going to compare other people within this to. And so it just it kind of gets me excited. But anyway, so we're talking about Loki. Loki's character was uh, in the comics, often also called the God of Lies and Mischief, and also known as uh, the God of Evil. So Loki is the adopted brother of Thor. So you were very close with Thor. But when you pair that piece of scripture, the, the second scripture with the first one, um, that is how, how I differentiated which one of the two between Thor and Loki we're talking about. But Loki was the adopted brother of Thor. In an ancient battle against the frost giants, Odin was facing Laufey, whom he killed. Laufey had a son who he had hidden because he was ashamed of his small stature. Odin took Laufey's son in and adopted him both on moral grounds and as a rules of war sort of tradition. He named this miniature frost giant Loki. Growing up, it was easy for Loki to become jealous of Thor because Thor was everything that, that the Asgardians wanted in a child or prince. He was big, strong, and great at battle. Though Loki was more gifted in intelligence and power in more of a sorcerer sort of way. And so you can see the parallels within the second piece of scripture with one of the sons, with um, Esau being more of the hunter and the skills man and the hairy dude. And then... Uh, Jacob being more of the intellectual brother, um, you can see the same parallels and comparisons within this. <clears throat> and so seeing how the Asgardians favored Thor because Loki's jealousy, this jealousy grew inside of Loki. 
eventually, <clears throat> excuse me, eventually getting to the point where he would play tricks on Thor and try to get him into trouble or hurt. It was Loki who manipulated Thor into wanting such revenge against the Frost Giants in the movie Thor. This is also throwing parallels um, to uh, Jacob tricking Esau, or not tricking him, but convincing him to give up his birthright. Little did Loki know that genetically he too was a frost giant. This caused Loki to resent his father even more, and he set out to basically destroy everything that Thor and Odin had held so dear. And so it is told within Scripture and um, over the, the course of Scripture that Satan, also known as Lucifer, was God's most beautiful angel. He was basically the head angel, the head of the army. He was the the guy in charge within heaven. He was in charge of the whole angel army, so to say. And so I believe, my belief, is that when God created man and Lucifer found out what God intended for man, that that's when his discord for God and man really started. That's when it really began to gain momentum. And I believe that seeing God create man in his own image and giving us authority, that's what caused jealousy in Satan. That's what it initially caused the, the anger and the, the, the fire to burn in him, so to say. And it eventually grew to the point where he devised a plan, and it talks about it in Revelations in a little bit more detail than we're going into today. But he devised a plan and, and eventually got a third of the angels to follow him and, uh, join a rebellion against God. And they were cast out of heaven, um, because they tried to overthrow him. And so it, it's, interesting to read this within revelations and you start getting this picture of of behind the scenes what what's going on in the heavenly realms what happened within the heavenly realms what's what's behind the scenes why satan hates us so much why our battle is against you know him and his plans and and the evil things rather than you know things we can see because i think Satan, it's, it's interesting because, and yes, we're dedicating a sermon to Satan, which is weird, but I think it's so important because as Christians, we need to understand the enemy and we need to understand how he moves, how he thinks, what he does in order for us to combat him, as well as for us to understand the importance of our faith. And so that's the reason why I think it's important to talk about this, but Satan really was... You wonder what he was thinking. I mean, you really have to sit back and really think about why he did what he did. Knowing God, knowing who God was, but yet he allowed his jealousy and hatred to grow into something so big that he was willing to sacrifice heaven. He was willing to sacrifice everything in order to try to defeat God, in order to try to overthrow God, because he thought he should be the the overlord of mankind. And it, it blows my mind that he could have ever really thought that his plan would work. I mean, he knew God. He knew what God was capable of, what God is capable of, and yet he still devised a plan. And so this also tells me a couple things that... um this wasn't just something that Satan decided on a whim. He didn't just go, hey, you know what, today I'm going to try to overthrow God. Like knowing who God is and knowing what God's capable of, you know he planned it out. 
But the, the thing that blows my mind, the thing I think is so stupid is that he would have known that God knew he was planning on trying to overthrow the throne. But yet he still did it. And that's what I think makes Satan so scary is because he was willing to give up all of that and it didn't matter what the consequences were. He wanted that power and authority. He wanted that control. He wasn't thinking of the consequences. He was just thinking of the spoils. And so Lucifer's desire to get what we want, what he wanted outweighed everything else to him. And so like Loki, Satan is good with words. He's good with tricking. He's good with battle. He's good with the intellectual side of war. And so even when he seems to be beat, even when Loki seems to be beat, he's always on his toes ready to manipulate the situation. As you see from the, the, the clip, as it goes on, it comes, it becomes clear that Loki, the whole reason he set up that scene was because he wanted to be captured. He wanted to set this scene up. And so what goes on in this this next scene is um, the Avengers capture Loki and they place him into a prison and it becomes clear really quick that his desire was to be captured because ultimately his goal wasn't necessarily, uh, or his goal was to be captured because he wanted to be around where the Avengers were. He wanted to be around them because he wanted to manipulate. He wanted to um, cause destruction intellectually, not physically. Because he knew he couldn't beat them physically. He knew he had to beat them intellectually. And that's the same way that Satan works. He's not more powerful than God. And so he has to be us intellectually. He has to be there and behind the scenes methodically trying to pick apart things and trying to place thoughts here and trying to overthrow this in order to manipulate things to go the way that he wants them. And so as the scene plays out, um, you know, the Hulk becomes the Hulk, he causes a lot of damage, he flies off to Earth, people die. The group was essentially leveled for a time being. And so like the scripture today, as, as Satan was tempting Jesus in the wilderness, he knew that outright just telling the truth to Jesus wouldn't work. Now, I don't necessarily think that uh, Satan knew who Jesus was while he was on Earth, but he knew that he was important. He knew he was extremely important. And so Satan was trying to tempt Jesus, but he never outright said, hey, you need to rebel against God and come and follow me because he knows that wouldn't work. He tries to add a little bit of truth mixed in with a little bit of lie to try to get us to rebel against God. And so I think of the scene with Adam and Eve and the tempting that went on there, it was never a, hey, you should eat this in direct rebellion of God. It was, hey, here's a little bit of truth mixed with here's a little bit of lie. Surely, God didn't say that. Surely you won't die. Didn't God say everything within the garden was good? I think that these scenes that are playing out and you start to see the way Satan is tempting and the way that he's manipulating and for me, it gets a little convicting because how many times have I believed a half truth and allowed it to grow into a big deal within my own head? And then I find myself in direct rebellion of God's will. And I think within the church in general, 
a lot of times we kind of fall into this same trap. Now, within the church, it grows into something a little bit different. I think within the Christian world, especially the American church, I think one of the biggest problems we have is that a lot of people aren't making their faith with God their own actual faith. A lot of times what they're doing is they're hearing something that sounds good, that somebody else said was God, somebody else said was good, somebody else said that it's in the Bible, somebody else said that it says this or that God says this, and we take it, and because it sounds good to us, we'll oftentimes run with it as if it's the truth. And so the the problem with that is we're not actually taking the time to test it against Scripture, test it against God, what He says, and instead we're running with this half-truth. And then we'll tell that half truth to somebody else. And then we'll tell, they'll tell that half truth to somebody else. And before you know it, you get down the line and the fifth or sixth generation of, of this half truth is so manipulated and coerced into something completely different. And it's just taken as a matter of fact. And that's why we as Christians, we have to be so careful to make sure that our faith is our faith, not somebody else's. Not your mom's, not your dad's. Make sure your faith isn't my faith. That your faith is your faith. The way I like to think about it is, you know, if, if you scream out and, and you're not in an intimate relationship with God, if you don't know God personally and you're not in scripture reading about him and learning about him, if you're not taking the time to pray and spend time with him and you don't personally know him, you're basically getting a secondhand relationship with God. And the way I like to think about it is you can walk up to a canyon and you can scream out, I love you, and it's going to scream back, I love you too. But that doesn't mean that the rocks actually love you. You're just hearing that second hand. You're hearing an echo of what was really said. Now, even though it's your own voice and you can differentiate, the same thing applies. When you hear somebody else saying, this is what scripture says, all you're hearing is, the echo of what scripture actually says, unless you take the time to read it yourself. Because we can get ourselves into a lot of trouble if our entire faith is just repeating what some other Christian says or told us that the Bible or Christ said. We can get into a lot of trouble because then what we're doing is We're creating another generation, another breed of Christians who walk around spreading the half-truths of ourselves as 100% truth. Another way I like to think about it is you guys have all played that game in in grade school where, uh, what is it called, telephone or whatever. You get in a big circle. Somebody says something to the first person, and by the time it gets back around, it is completely different, almost always. Like, I've yet to hear a 100% perfect example of that. that there's, even if it's just one word that's off, there's always like a word or somebody, you know, the, it initially started do not and it turned into don't. Even the really, really good ones still abbreviate and still take shortcuts. That's kind of the same thing that goes on if all of you're doing is hearing what other people are saying God is saying and then turning it around just think about how much damage that does down the line. 
Because you have to assume that the next person isn't necessarily getting it from God as well. And then that next person isn't necessarily getting it from God as well. And by the time you get three or four generations down, all of a sudden, what you, what, what I maybe had gleaned from scripture as truth is now completely warped and is a completely different picture than what God intended it to be. And now, I want to take a second and, and make sure that what you're hearing isn't necessarily, uh, that what I'm saying is that you're hearing correctly what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you shouldn't glean truths from other people. What I'm saying is you need to make sure that you're taking those truths and you're testing them against scripture and testing them against the word of God and against God himself. Because you need a mentor. You need someone who has read the scripture more than you, who is closer to God than you to speak into your life and to teach you and to guide you and direct you. You need that in your life. I need that in my life. I have people who speak into my life. And so I'm not saying that you shouldn't have mentors. I'm saying you need to take what your mentor says or what I say from pulpit, and you need to make sure and test it against Scripture to make sure that it's true in order to get rid of those half-truths. Because I'm not going to tell you that I've gotten it 100% correct from the pulpit. I mean, I don't know of anything directly that I've necessarily preached that was heresy, but I'm not going to promise you that I've never made a mistake from the pulpit. I'm saying I'm, there's probably, I've been preaching for six years. There's probably a pretty good chance that maybe I interpreted something incorrectly. And so your job then is to make sure that you're testing what I'm saying against scripture. And now I, I also want to make sure that you're hearing what I'm saying and you're not taking and it, turning it into a half truth. I'm not saying that you need to be critical of everything I say from the pulpit. There's a very big difference between testing something against scripture and being critical. Having a critical spirit is not of God. And so I'm not saying you need to be critical of what I say from the pulpit, but you do need to test it against scripture. And so back to the, what we're talking about, Satan again, as I've said, is the, he's the best at half-truths. He's amazing at half-truths. He takes those half-truths and he uses them to hurt people, hurt them specifically in their walk with God. His intention is to get people to turn away from God. We as Christians have to want more. We have to want more of God than we want of somebody else's version of God. We have to want more of God than what some book's version of God is. Now, although a second and third and fourth generation story of God is still pretty epic and still pretty awesome, and you can get a lot of, of knowledge out of that, and you can still get a lot of truth out of it, but we as Christians have to want that firsthand experience. We should be desiring that intimate relationship with God. And one of the ways that Satan gets a foothold within a ministry is, as I was talking about briefly, critical, 
having a critical spirit or a bitter spirit. And it amazes me how year after year, especially this time of year, because we've all been pent up, it's cold outside, we're not able to go out and enjoy the weather, we're getting tired of the snow, we're getting frustrated, we've been around each other way more than we probably want to be, how quickly Christians get critical and bitter against other Christians. Now, the reason I say it amazes me is because this isn't the first sermon I've preached in February on this topic. I literally have preached this topic every single year because every single year about this time of year, we begin getting critical and we begin getting bitter. We begin to get quick to blame others and we stop focusing on our own walk and we start becoming critical of other people and their walk. This time of year, again, I have to talk about the same thing. I know part of it, most of it, is probably a little bit of cabin fever. We get tired of being pent up inside, especially if you have roommates that you're around all of the time. A lot of times you're going to start getting a lot uh, more and more upset with them. You add into the equation that it's midterms. You add into the equation stress, homework, those kinds of things into this. And all of a sudden, this room can even become a powder keg just ready to explode. There's manipulation, there's bitterness, there's a critical spirit, and it's just downright ugly oftentimes. And so we have to be careful as Christians to make sure that we're not getting quick to complain, quick to judge, quick to critique other people, and at the same time remain slow to move, slow to reach out slow to to share a love. We have to make sure that we're not focusing so much on what other people are or are not doing that we forget our own calling, and that is to make disciples. We forget so quickly, especially this time of year, what God has clearly written out within Scripture, what He has clearly commanded of us in love. And so I'm just going to say it Because it needs to be said, and I say it every year. So don't take it personal, but please take it and apply it to your life. If you spend more time complaining about what others are or aren't doing than you spend sharing your faith, you've become an ingrown nail. You're going to have to be removed in order for the system to function properly and for the system to be pain-free you should be spending significantly more time sharing love, sharing your faith, sharing about Jesus than you spend complaining about what other people are or are not doing. And I feel like all of this mirrors our walk with God. Not only do we become critical of others, a lot of times we become critical of God in this season as well. We get to this point where we're no longer satisfied with Christ's sacrifice for us and we become hard-hearted and bitter because something didn't quite go the way that we thought it should have. And we get to a point where we want to be right so bad, we want to be correct so bad that our pride, our own pride, begins to destroy us. And like I said a couple weeks ago, 
you can't have two masters. If you spend enough time with one, you're going to begin to look like them. And so being blunt, if you're spending more time being critical and complaining and being bitter, what master are you serving? Because it's not God. But not only that, who are you becoming? Again, you can't serve two masters. If you're busy listening to Satan, you begin to look like him. You turn into the Loki of this story. And the problem with it is you won't even realize it at first. It begins slow. Starts out with a small half-truth. And before you know it, you're caught up in a full-grown lie. We eventually begin to follow the wrong God. Eventually, we begin to cower under the weight of Satan. And so the way that we combat that is back to the same thing. We are in the truth. We're in the word of God. We're spending time with God. The way that we combat Satan, the way that we combat the enemy is with truth. And so the way that we do that is spending time with God, spending time reading scripture, spending time asking God to correct us and help us to walk closer to him. Asking him to point out flaws, things that we should improve on. Asking him to help us grow closer to him. And we need, in order to combat all this, in order to combat the enemy, in order to combat everything we're talking about in today, we need first-hand truth, not second-hand. So don't let this Tuesday night service be the only interaction with God you have this week. Because then you're living my faith. So what I'm going to do is for the next five to ten minutes we're not going to make it long, we're not going to make it drawn out, we're not going to make it painful we're not going to make it awkward but I'm going to ask for the next five to ten minutes, we're going to turn the lights off, that you find a place away from everybody else You take a minute and you just spend some time with God. Whatever that needs to look like for you. If you need to spend some time in prayer because you haven't spent a whole lot of time in prayer this week, do it. If you need to bust out the Bible on your phone and read some scripture, do it. However you feel like God's asking you to spend time with him, we're going to spend five, ten minutes. And at the same time, I'm going to ask uh, leaders to come up small group leaders, whoever else, and we're going to have the altar time open. And so if you need prayer, and maybe that's how you need to spend some time with God, is you need to come, you need to agree in prayer with somebody, the altars are going to be open. So five minutes, go ahead. All right. Leaders, stay up here for just a second. I just want to point out, I want you everybody to look up here. See everybody standing up here. These are people who have said, hey, I'm going to make sacrifices. I'm going to make myself available so that if anybody from Chi Alpha needs them, they'll be available. They've said, hey, I'm available. I know it sounds simple, but 
If you ever need someone to talk to, anybody to, to pray with, anybody to have a conversation with, anybody to just cry with, these guys and girls have said, hey, I'm available. Now, they're not necessarily always going to be available. Like when they're in class, they're probably going to have their phone shot off or work. But for the most part, if they are available, they've said, hey, my door is open to you. You guys can get me seated. Thank you, guys. And when I say that, I really mean it. They've really made that decision. They've made that distinction. They've said, I'm available. And so I don't ever want to hear somebody from in here say, well, just nobody was available. Because as you saw, there's plenty of us. There's plenty of phones. There's plenty of Facebook accounts. There's plenty of doors that'll be unlocked for you to just get a hold of somebody and say, hey, I need someone to visit with. I need somebody to talk to. I need somebody to hang out with. They've made themselves available. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for the opportunity to get closer to you. God, I pray that as this winter goes on, as it seems like it just keeps getting colder and colder as the year goes on, first and foremost, please, God, will you warm it up? But Lord, as it's cold, as it continues to be cold I pray that you would get this cabin fever away from us that we could continue to grow closer to you that we could consistently and continually analyze our walks with you in ways that we can get closer in ways that we can extend love to those around us to share about Jesus to those around us. And to fulfill what you've commanded us to do. God, we pray for breakthroughs where there haven't been breakthroughs. We pray for healing where there hasn't been healing. God, we pray for you to move in our lives. Help us to be available. Help us to seek you. Help us to get closer to you. And God, help us to know. Help us to know that we're loved by you. Sometimes it's so hard to believe. It's so hard to see how you could love us. But God, I pray that you would show your love undeniably to every single person in this room. That you would make it clear to them how much they love you or how much you love them. Lord, we thank you. And it's in your name we pray.